although that we're we're going through very unprecedented times right now, that this is not permanent. This is not permanent. Over time, things are going to get better. But one of my favorite quotes is, tough times don't last, tough people do. And if we could look back years down the line at this experience and what's transpiring and say that we've witnessed and we survived that, we're that much stronger. We're that much tougher for whatever that next hurdle or roadblock is. So I would just encourage everybody to take care of their mental health. Be careful of what they consume. And what I mean by consume is not what you eat, but what you watch, what you read, and what you see, and what you feed your mind. Because ultimately, that will have a huge effect on you know your mood, how you look at things, and your overall being as well. Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. Chris and my last episode ended with two subjects, either of which I would love to cover. An NFL tight end picking up other people's garbage and stoicism. We'd already covered life for a professional team athlete under pandemic. Then George Floyd and Black Lives Matter eclipsed the pandemic in the media and in public discourse. We covered all these topics in this episode, starting with stoicism, which I think set the tone for thoughtful, reflective conversation on important but difficult subjects. So here's Chris on stoicism, pandemic lockdowns, George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, and the NFL. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Chris Manhertz. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm very good. It's funny because it's crazy times. And when someone says, how are you doing? I mean, I am fine right now, but I'm in a nation in, in turmoil, to say the least. And as soon as we, even before last episode ended, I wanted to hear, one, how Pick Up Garbage went, if you got the chance to do that. And stoicism, I was like, if we were to start talking about that, then it would be ours. And then, of course, there's George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. And who could have imagined that something could eclipse the pandemic? And yet it did. And I would love to hear your thoughts on any of these things in any order. Would you like to talk about any of, or all of them? And, and if so, in, in what order? Uh, I can start with the stoicism. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I mentioned this to a couple of people and they're like, who does he like? Is it like Epictetus or is it Marcus Aurelius? Or is it like, what, and how did you come into it? Or where did it come to you from? Um, I was just randomly uh, reading an article, and I think it was either on Forbes or Entrepreneur.com a few years ago. And it was pretty much an article that illustrated um, how to implement stoic philosophies to your life as a potential entrepreneur or a business person and how effective that way of thinking can be for, you know, certain endeavors that you may do. And I picked up on an article and read into it a little bit and uh, ended up getting a, a few books by Ryan Holiday and, you know, just pretty much studying, you know, Epictetus and in the meditations and things like that and trying to, you know, see, you know, how I could implement, you know, some of those practices into, into my daily life. Now, when, this is probably obvious, but I mean, most people, when they hear stoicism, they think don't show emotion. And, and that's not at all what I understand it as. And I presume not you either because you've read it. So what is it for you? I mean, what are some core principles? For me, I've had conversations with, with people in the past, and that's usually 
one of the first things that comes out of their mouth in terms of, you know, showing no emotions. I wouldn't uh, define it as such. I would, I would define stoicism as being in control of your emotions mm-hmm. and not uh, allowing your emotions to control you. And I think as we go deeper into that, we realize that those are two totally different things. That not allowing your emotions to control you and having control over them. Both. That tells me that once you did not have control over your emotions and your emotions did control you, and you've probably made headway in changing that. Do I read that right? Yes. What were some milestones? Stop me if I'm asking too overly personal questions. Hmm. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, get too personal, but it, it could be something as little as choosing what you allow yourself to get angry about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as simple as that may sound, you know, once you really start to hone in and understanding yourself, you you develop a sense of awareness and understanding that you're in total control of where you put your energy and your emotions to. You know, if somebody says a slick comment or offensive uh, comment to me or uh, trying to take a dig at me or trying to offend me, it's up to me to choose how I take that. It's up to me to choose if I act out irrationally to that person, because ultimately, if I do do that, you know, in my opinion, he's controlling my emotions. I'm not. Mm -hmm. Anything that he or she might say can trigger me to a point where I act irrationally. So for me, that's ultimate control to a degree as far as somebody, you know, controlling your emotions, for an example. Yeah, to me, you hit on, you. My there's lots of stoicism and I'm not a scholar of it. I'm, and to some extent, people say I practice it, even though, however, unintentional. And I've read some of the stuff. But the core principle to me is things happen that are outside of your control, but how you react is under your control. And the things outside of your control, for you to get mad about things, for that to affect you, if those things affect you, then you're out of you're out of control. Whereas what you do about it is totally under your control. So terrible things can happen in the world, but if I can make meaning of it, if I can choose how I respond to it, then that doesn't mean that I'm going to. If if the situation is terrible, that doesn't mean that I feel terrible. It doesn't mean that I'm powerless. Right. And I feel like now, well, I was about to say now it's as valuable as ever. I think but it is. All times it's as valuable as ever. Yeah. You know, especially during this time, it kind of tests you a little bit. And it's with all the news and all the things that's going on in this world and in this country. I mean, it's obviously easy to get up, get caught up in all of that because it's happening every day. You're seeing it every day. You're probably watching the news. You're probably on social media. It's hard to not notice those things. But for me, it's more of a, a filtration process and, and controlling what I consume as well, because ultimately that will, you know, that will affect how I think and, and what I think and how I view things. Yeah. My mom is like every 10 minutes, she's got another headline that she's like freaking out over. And I'm like, you're talking about something that has nothing. There's nothing I can do about that. There's nothing anyone I know can do about that. And there's an infinite number of things like that going on in the world, but she can't stop reading the next headline. And it freaks her out. Although I think some people might think, well, if you don't care about things, then you can't do anything. But that's not it either. Or is it? I mean, if you don't get worked up over things, some people, they get worked up and that they feel like that's doing something. Right. And some people take, conversely, some people take you not getting worked up to that degree as, you know, something passes as if you just don't care. And I certainly don't look at it that way. I just, for me... um, Speaking personally, I know myself and I know what 
how I might react to certain things and what certain what might be certain triggers. So if I could control what I expose myself to in terms of triggers, ultimately that's gonna, you know, make me be a person in a better mood and and you know, not taking things as they usually would. You know, so for me it's just you know, I'm always under the assumption that I'm in ultimate control. I am in ultimate ultimate control of, you know, how I treat people. I'm in ultimate control of, you know, how I react, how I respond to things, how I take things, what I allow to get to me. I'm the only person that can control that. And what are some examples of things that you've chosen to act on? And what are some things you've chosen not to act on? I'm kind of half thinking either recently because of current events. I'm also kind of thinking like on the field or in practice. We could use current events. We could use this COVID-19 situation and, and how because of COVID-19 and because of businesses being closed and because of facilities being closed, I have very limited access to things I usually would if, you know, this pandemic didn't exist, you know, i.e. working out at my own uh, disposal and having access to certain uh, resources and recovery and, and weights and things like that. That's a given. Right. I can't control. I can't open the Bank of America Stadium back up. Uh-huh. I can't. What I can control is what I do in the meantime. What I can control is, you know, my attitude in terms of am I going to use this as an excuse to not get my work in and not be prepared for training camp come July? Am I going to use that as an excuse or am I going to find a way? You know, am I going to buy some gym equipment and turn my garage into a gym? You know, that's a means of me finding a way. So I, I think it's important. Is it easier said than done or is it? It is. It's definitely easier said than done because, you know, it's a lot easier to do something under the supervision of a coach or, you know, somebody pushing you to a degree. So you kind of have to find out. Are you connected with other teammates so that you are doing this together with them? Are you getting them up? Because I mean, obviously you want your teammates to be doing the same thing and I guess the opponents not to do it. Right. Yeah, you could try, but you could only do so much. You know, you could only do so much. And ultimately, again, it's up to that person to if, if they want to. Well, that sounds like you talk to some teammates and they're not doing as much. <laughs> yeah. You know, so again, outside of my... Uh, Come on, Panthers, let's do this. <laughs> beyond my locus of control. Oh, that's funny because it's uh, leadership is helping. Well, to me, leadership is helping others do what they want to do, but haven't figured out how. And you can't control other people. That's, that's a tough one. It's like, do you want to influence people? I mean, you can't make decisions for them, but you can still influence them. And if you're able to influence them, that helps you. And they'll probably thank you in the long run, even though they might like it in the moment, which is my whole thing with the environment is most people, I think most people would prefer to pollute less than they do. But when faced with the prospect of actually doing it, they'd rather, you know, buy the SUV. Right. And I mean, it's just a matter of priorities at the end of the day. You know, if it's a priority to you, you make it work. You find a way to make it happen. Well, in this case, influencing others. I mean, if I just say to someone, I know you want the SUV, but look at your priorities. And, and in, in the long run, you'll prefer getting a more fuel efficient car or carpooling or something. That doesn't really work just to say that. I have not found that to work. Right. So, yeah, influencing others is a place where it's on the line or can go fall on different sides of the line of whether it's under your control or not. I mean, ultimately it's their choice, but that doesn't mean we can't talk to them and influence them. And it's contagious, especially if you lead by example, you can show somebody better than you can tell them. In my opinion, I'd rather show you than tell you. 
I'd rather show you how to work than to tell you, come work. You know, I'd rather, in this case, I'd rather send them a clip of me getting my work in and ask them, what are you doing? Uh. <laughs> you know? And half the time that works well because they see that and it might be a little guilt thing like, all right, what am I doing? I should be working or I should be working as hard. So you have to have uh, people. And I think everybody in all levels and uh, spectrums of this profession have people that motivate them and help them get an extra boost in terms of motivation. Hey, you said you don't have a coach right now or you don't, I mean, it's not, even if you have a coach right now, it's not going to be the same level of, of attention that you get if you're in the gym together. Do you have coaching right now? Do you, are you getting external stuff or? Uh, we have extra, we have Zoom meetings every day. Um, so that we're doing everything virtually. We obviously miss the, um, the on-field component, mm-hmm. but you know, for what it's worth, it's, it's better than not having any meetings at all. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask how they coach you? Is it just for fitness or is it also for... I don't no, know. it's all cerebral. It's all film study. It's all plays. It's all playbook. It's all um, little details in terms of a lot of playbook stuff. And that's, in this profession, that's honestly more than half the battle is the mental aspect. The physical aspect should be a given that we're all blessed with the athletic ability and the tools to execute what's being taught, but we have to apply, retain, and learn what they're what they're trying to teach i wonder what it's going to be like let's say in six months you guys can start a season it's a delayed start you won't have practiced enough or as much as you usually would is it going to look sloppy out there on the field or it's i mean people are going to be less practiced i don't know um i can't say what i can say is that we're not the only ones going through it (laughs) you know all 32 teams are going through the same thing so to a degree i like to think that you know, there's no unfair advantages in terms of, okay, one team having practice while the other team in another state with limited restrictions and still shutdowns don't have access to that. But it's kind of even in terms of what's given to us right now. How do teams decide on using that time and using the, the range given the, you know, circumstances is, is up to them. But, and also the leadership of individual players like you. Yes. I want to go back to what you're saying about leading by example, and I'm going to use that to segue to picking up garbage. So when last we spoke, you were going to go, I think at least once to a nearby park and pick some stuff up. <laughs> it was actually in the wake of like a protest. Now I'm kind of curious, did you go to the protest? Or did you go after the protest or? Well, I went to one, but uh, it, it wasn't after that one. So now I want to ask about the protest, but can I, let me first ask about the, so after a different protest, you went and said, this is my chance to pick up some garbage to clean some things up. Yeah. It kind of <laughs> happened naturally because it was a mess. So you had a double, presumably I, I'm, if you were supporting the protest, then you're also making the protest more effective. I really want protests. I would love for this message to get through to protest. I'm sorry if I'm editorializing. Mm-hmm. Whenever anyone protests, they should leave it cleaner than they found it. No one should ever look at a protest and say, this is like, we don't want them here again because they're messy. Right. I want to get that message out there. Like, I think being environmentally stewardship, thinking about environmental stewardship, that would heighten the message of any protest. Right. Which I think you ended up doing. I'm not sure if that was your intent, but. um, Oh, it was just one of those things where it's ironic that I had that conversation with you well before all of this uh, transpired. But, you know, I was thinking about it as I was doing it. And I was like, well, this this is no different than cleaning up a park. 
you know, it's just cleaning up over after uh, thousands of people that are, um, you know, emotional, or angry, and um, obviously thousands of people in one concentrated setting. There's there's going to be some type of remnants or mess and garbage and, and, and you know, litter and things like that. So, so what did you do? Did you make a day of it or did you just go and pick up a little bit? Or can you walk me through what happened? Yeah, it was um, with a few people and it was probably for about an hour. Um, I, I'm a big uh, advocate of community efforts and, and community work and doing right within the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was just a means of, I guess, giving back in a way, showing mm-hmm. support. So it was good. Would you have done it if we hadn't had our conversation? Would I have done it? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was looking for a little <laughs> extra credit for me, but uh, that's cool to hear. Uh, and what was the what was the experience like? I mean, you're literally picking up other people's garbage. Yeah. Some might say, "Well, that's a waste of time," or some might say, uh, "I mean, how did it feel? What was it the emotional it be a experience waste like?" Of time if you're living it and you, you you're going over into those areas every day. I mean, ultimately, it's I guess in my opinion, it's my community too. You know, um, I'm not isolated from that. So if I'm going to see it, if I'm going to drive in it, if I'm going to walk in it, if I'm going to pass it every day, um, I'm just as much as responsible as, you know, the people that did leave that mess in a way. I want to call out that this is an, I mean, an NFL player is, has a certain status, I think, in, in our world, and you don't have to do this. And I just love, because I talk to people and they're like, Josh, don't bother. There's 8 million people in New York you picking up a little bit of garbage here and there doesn't make a difference. And, but then earlier I had a couple of mayors from uh, Orange City and Orlando, Florida, and they picked up garbage in their neighborhoods. I was like, oh, I think this might be the first elected officials who picked up other people's garbage. I was really happy about that. And this is leadership to me, even if just one person follows, but I, I, I really want people to get this, that whoever is thinking of picking up garbage at home, you're not alone. And the other people who are thinking of it are not just like weird people like me. It's also weird people like you. Right. <laughs> what about the relationships? Did uh, you said you, it sounded like you went with people? Yeah, a few people, a teammate of mine, and yeah, a couple other people. It was good. You know, it was good. Like I said, it was. I guess we're all on the same page as a means of helping the community, um, giving back in a way. I think that's important. And then giving back is not only exclusive to monetary contributions, but obviously things like that, you know, just being there, being there for support and, you know, being active. And was there any feeling of embarrassment or what if people see us doing it? Can you imagine why people might feel that way before they do it? For me, being embarrassed about it. Other people, I mean, other people say, why bother? Was there any feeling like that on your part? Or could, would you imagine that others might feel that way? I could imagine uh, why some people might feel that way. But again, I, I think it's it's kind of hard for me to even wrap my mind around that because my mind is kind of wired a little bit different. And my means of doing that was, one, obviously cleaning up the community, and two, giving back. You know, some people might look at it and say, well, you know, why am I doing this? What what difference is this going to make? But it does, you know, in my mind, morally it does. And obviously environmentally it does. All right. So I'm glad to hear about this experience. Often I ask people at this stage, like, is this something you're, you're going to do again? <laughs> it's something you would have done anyway, anyway. Right. 
did this experience lead you to do more, less, the same? Honestly, I, I think the same. Um, I wasn't one to like not do it before. So it's kind of, it's not a, you know, far from what I usually do. I'm not, you know, going out every week and picking up garbage, but when I have an opportunity to to help out and help the community and help the environment, sure. Yeah. This is gratifying to hear for me. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act, and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I'm also curious to ask if um, your thoughts on all the Black Lives Matter and the police brutality, if that's not too far afield. I mean, that's totally far afield from what we've been talking about, but it's, it's hard not to talk about it. And... I'm curious if you have any experiences or messages on on it. You know, I, I think uh, in times like this, especially uh, in the wake of George Floyd's death and um, what's transpiring around the country regarding this movement, I think it, it's sparking a lot of good conversations and it's allowing people to really uh, be vulnerable and receptive to, to different perspectives, uh, whether that be regarding police brutality, whether that be in, you know, what... Uh, the differences between what a black person might go through versus what a white person might go through. I think a lot of those conversations are conversations that are uncomfortable, but you know, they, they need to be had and it, it, it doesn't hurt. It certainly does not hurt. Yeah. I've had a lot of uncomfortable conversations and it's funny. It's like the pandemic is major affects everybody. I mean, on the whole planet, it's one of the few things that's like affected billions of people suddenly. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to, I mean, obviously one's health and the health of your loved ones and your community is very important, but there's something deeply more personal, it feels to me, about sharing one's story regarding your skin color, your experience, how it differs from others, and hearing others' experiences. To me, it feels much more personal, especially in our country, Mm -hmm. than the virus. And I guess that's why it eclipses things in the news. It's also very difficult to speak. A lot of things it's difficult to share openly publicly because even when I talk to my friends, slight nuances, it's very easy for someone that I don't know to take. This is a common practice. It's like people take, here's what you said, and I interpret it in the worst possible way. And in a world where I think one of the most missing things is hearing, making other people feel understood, just hearing them. And hearing is so different than understanding or uh, supporting all the support is a big thing too. So we're in this place where it's like, you want to share, you want to hear. And then there's these minefields around of like. You don't want to offend anybody at the same time. Yeah. And so it's easier to say nothing. Yeah. And I, I think to your point, that's one of the harder things, especially in today's society, because, you know, it's kind of one of those things to where if we're going to be open and speak about something unfiltered, unbiased, being vulnerable, you know, it's okay to have those conversations and express how you feel 
without, you know, how you feel and that your personal experience is not being offensive to the other party. And I think, you know, part of that is just, just listening, um, just listening first and, and, and trying to understand. And it, obviously it's, it's difficult and it, these are very delicate conversations to have, but again, you know, I'd rather have those, try to have those conversations than to act like they don't exist. Yeah. How does it feel? Black guy talking to white guy, we're being recorded and we don't really know each other that well. Mm -hmm. We had a good conversation already, had some mildly shared experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What does it feel like? It Honestly, it doesn't feel uncomfortable for me at all because it's, I'm coming from a place of like, just understanding, like I'm very um, open-minded, you know? So I don't mind hearing different perspectives on, okay, if you feel differently about something, I want to know why. Before I uh, crucify you for feeling how you feel, I just want to try to understand why, you know, and meet you where you're at and vice versa. I would hope that would be the same thing for you as well. I think that's, you know, the premise of, of you know, great conversation. It's the hearing why is like, that's, there's so much nuance in that. I can say, I am personally very nervous about sharing the more vulnerable things because I could easily say something about equality that someone would say, that sounds racist. Mm -hmm. And if someone says racist about a white person, that label can stick for a long, long time, even if it wasn't accurate. Right. So that makes me not want to say things. It's really... And it forces people to now become, not you per se, but anyone in general regarding these topics or even politics and stuff in general. It, It allows people to remain, quote unquote, neutral or be politically correct because you don't want to offend anybody and you don't want what you say to be misconstrued and taken as something else. That's the hard part to me. Mm -hmm. That's the hard part. And it it goes both ways. What's the other way? I said it goes both ways between me and you or you and me. Like, you know, I mean, you know, just because you're white doesn't mean that you're racist. I'm not treating you as such. Mm-hmm. unless something is said or done that leads me to believe that differently, you know, but again, part of that is just having the conversation and, you know, a lot of these conversation have to be had with a clear mind and just people just listening and hearing each other out, not cutting each other off, not, you know, undermining your experiences or my experiences, just hearing each other out and just trying to understand. If, you, if you're, if you're having a conversation with somebody that just wants to understand Mm-hmm. I promise you that conversation would go better than a shouting match between I'm right, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I think what I think and you're wrong for thinking what you think. It's called perspective for a reason. Facts are facts, but perspective is, you know, shaped by your experience. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten to have a lot of these conversations? Yeah, I did. I did. I had a lot of these conversations with my uh, black and white um, counterparts and, you know, they've been all good conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I, I know that some words or some some conversations might be emotional triggers for some. So you kind of have to be aware and, you know, not be tone deaf to their experiences and not, and not undermine their experience as well. You know, just because I didn't, you know, have a bad experience with a cop doesn't mean that, you know what, you, you know, I didn't. So it can't exist for you. That's That's not how it works. You know, so you just have to be aware and open. And understand that everybody has a different outlook, experiences. And again, that's why it's called 
perspective. Yeah, I appreciate your sharing this. Uh, I'm kind of curious how those conversations went. Is this the first one that's being recorded and it's going to go out live? Or not live, but um, broadcast? In depth like this? Yeah. I was asked about it, but similar questions, but you're asking some different ones, but it's fine. Yeah, I don't know if this is particularly in depth, because I feel like I'm just we're kind of scratching the surface of personal experiences. I mean, the next thing would be like personal experiences and... I don't know what it's like to be black looking at a picture of a white cop with his knee on the neck of a black guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been a racial minority in other countries and different times in my life, but this is poignant right here, right now. I'm kind of curious. I mean, I've, I've definitely been pulled over by, not pulled over, but um, stopped by cops and questioned. And I had a sense that I could be put in jail, even though I was just not doing anything I don't know why, the, why they're bothering me, but I don't think I had a sense that I could die. Right. So I'm kind of curious. What, your skin color is the same as Floyd's, but that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to identify with him. I'm not sure if you would or not. And right. In terms of just that type of treatment. Yeah. <laughs> no. And again, I preface this by saying I could only speak for what I've been through and my experiences and how I was raised. Now, um, continuously seeing, and you know, black males being, you know, abused unfairly by the police, does that kind of, in the back of my mind, in the event that I get pulled over, is something in the back of my mind, like, I hope this goes smoothly? Yeah. You know, um, am I living my life in fear of the police personally? No. But things like that are in the back of my mind because I'd be... You know, I'd be blind if I, I didn't see certain things happening and not, you know, having some type of awareness or, you know, a heightened sense of awareness of, you know, what might transpire, what might potentially transpire. You know, it's it's a constant um, battle in a way. Internally, it sounds like. Yeah. As well as, I guess, your behavior. I mean, it's going to factor into how you live your life. Mm-hmm. And I noticed you said black male. And I, I was, we addressed skin color, but there's also, I mean, it, sen- it tends to be these men, not women, who are, have the knees on the back of their heads. Mm-hmm. Is that something that factors in, too, about being male versus female? I mean, obviously, you haven't been female either, as far as I know. <laughs> I think it's, it's, a, it's something that's notable, for sure, um, unless, you know, the media is doing a great job of only <laughs> putting, it out, putting out the victims of these things as, as black males, you know, or black people in general. But um, I, I don't look at it in terms of a male or female thing. It's just it's just unfortunate, you know, isolated events, you know, um, male or female, black or white in general. Like it's it's, you know, no one wants to be taken away from their families at the hands of somebody else. Period. <laughs> yeah. You know? We said isolated, but it's hard not to see systemic effects. I mean, again, perspective, it. it Maybe I'm seeing something that others aren't, but it feels like there's some systemic effects. I mean, over the past couple of decades, the what appears to be militarization of fully, of civilian police and things like qualified immunity that it seems to have been like a progression toward less accountability, more weaponry, more military vehicles. Right. So it seems like this is happening. I mean, it's like almost like a, a, a train wreck. You're watching it happen and you can't really do anything to stop it. It's something like this seemed inevitable for a while. Yeah, I think it starts with, with holding, holding people accountable. Um, I think what's more 
enraging and uh, infuriating for a lot of people is that cops that that do commit these crimes because they are crimes for the most part cops that are committing these these crimes um, they should be held accountable and when people aren't held accountable it makes it seem like that behavior is deemed okay for the next person mm-hmm. could be me <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um so you know it's just definitely something that i have in the back of my mind and you know um, hopefully it's one of those issues that with time you know certain laws are implemented that will you know allow people to be held more accountable or whether it be training them differently or whatever the case may be but i i know that this is not this is not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. You said a very interesting thing. It could be me that if these, if incentives and motivations happen enough, the average person could become the next, I forget the name of this, his, uh, Derek something or other. Like when cultures change, people who might not do something start doing things and they're human, just like you, just like me, just like all of us. I think people would like to, make people they disagree with into monsters. They may become monsters. They were still little kids running around, not thinking I'm going to grow up and kill someone. I think it's really hard for people to, I I think that's an uncomfortable, uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's, it's easier to say that person is evil than that person. What we say instead, that person, we live in a culture that maybe I support in some ways that led them to do things, I might have done that too if I were in that situation. Right. As I'm saying that, I can't help think about the environment because I think most people are polluting a lot more than they think they would. But it's hard for me also not to think of totalitarian regimes where you'd have some big leader coming into town and like the whole country becomes supporting that that leader. Right. And afterward, they say they were just following orders or they're just saying, I wasn't really part of it, but it's, we can all go there. That's right. really hard to see the humanity in the, others. I don't know. This is, I've not gone in this direction remotely with any of my other guests. I appreciate your, your sharing and, and listening to me talk about my stuff. Yeah, no problem. I mean, it's good. I'm kind of thinking I could, we could keep going on. I kind of want to, but we covered at least to some degree, the, the things I've really think of covering. Do you want to, is there more to share or are there things you've had on in mind that you wanted to get out by any chance? Nothing notable, honestly. Um, I mean, what we said was a lot. I mean, that's, yeah. We could talk about that uh, for hours. <laughs> That's what, yeah, I, on the one hand, I don't want to go on forever. On the other hand, I'm really curious where it would go. I propose I'll, I'll wrap up and ask you what I always ask everyone at the end is, is there anything to, to wrap up with or anything you want to say to the audience? But also leave open that um, if this conversation, to leave an open invitation that if you want to share more uh, or if anything comes up, uh, let me know and let's do, an, uh, like we could do a third episode, which could be, on current events or who knows what's going to happen next. Or it could be if you find yourself picking up garbage another time that you might not have otherwise. Right. So anything to wrap up with, anything you want to say to listeners or to your fans or anything like that? Um, I would just say, understand and realize that although that we're, we're going through very unprecedented times right now, that this is not permanent. This is not permanent. And, you know, over time things are going to get better, but uh, my one of my favorite quotes is um, tough times don't last tough people do. Um, and if we could look back, you know, years down the line at this experience and what's transpiring and say that we've witnessed and we survived that we're that much stronger. 
you know, we're that much tougher for whatever that next hurdle or, you know, roadblock is, so to speak. So I would just encourage everybody to, you know, take care of their mental health, um, be careful of what they consume. And what I mean by consume is not what you eat, but what you watch, what you read and what you see and what you feed your mind, because ultimately that will have a huge effect on, you know, your mood and how you look at things and your overall being as well. So I will leave that with, with, with you guys. Chris Manhurts, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks, Joshua. None of my podcasts are scripted, but this was probably my most unscripted. Though it only scratched the surface of sharing personal experiences, hopes, fears, expectations, and other vulnerabilities, it seems the start of what to share, what I think we as a nation could share a lot more of. On a personal note, as an emerging public figure, if I'm not flattering myself to say so, I've had conversations with friends and family with misunderstandings that even with friends and family that got us angry at each other, even if we were on the way to greater understanding. It's scary to talk about personal things in an environment where people out there, they look to interpret things in the worst possible way. It sure is easier to watch others in public and criticize them. It's tough to be there. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.